0: Cafe. World is full of wonders. Fade Walker. T, the Fade Cafe. Sneaky son of a 3G, the Fade Cafe. I suspect you have questions. The Fade Cafe.
1: Welcome to the Fade Cafe. I'm Cafe 3G, he him. And I'm Unifade Walker, also he, him. And welcome to uh, our podcast where we talk about Bioware things, we talk about queer things, we talk about all kinds of pop culture things. Hey, thank you so much. I just want to say to you who are listening right now, thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We had such an amazing response to it, and we are looking forward to making uh, another amazing episode for you. Many, many more amazing episodes for you. I'm going to keep using yeah. the word amazing. And thank you again, too, for your uh, your kind reviews and all of your comments on social media. It really means a lot. And, uh, and we're going to get to your comments, too, a little bit later on this episode. We're also going to talk a little bit about Dragon Age Absolution. Uh, but Yay! first... Yeah, I know. I know. We're we're going to talk we're going to discuss the first 3 episodes of Dragon Age Absolution in this episode. So, just fair warning, there will be spoilers for the first 3 episodes of Dragon Age Absolution. So, prepare yourself. Make sure you watch those first 3 episodes before you join in on our discussion. Now, you've been forewarned. Um, we have had some positive news in the LGBTQ+ space in this week. We've also had some not so great news because right now this year has not been it really hasn't been very good for uh, for LGBTQ plus people in the United States. Um, case in point, in, uh, in early December, we had a bill that was passed in uh, the United States Congress that is the Respect for Marriage Act. It federally recognizes same-sex marriages and requires all states to recognize same-sex marriages performed in other states. That sounds great. And it's a fantastic first step. It does not protect same-sex marriage in all states. It means that if Obergefell v. Hodges goes down, which is the Supreme Court case that protects same-sex marriage in all states, if that goes down as the Supreme Court has said that they are planning to do in the next session, then other states will be able to pass legislation that bans same-sex marriage. Um, It's not good. It's a good step. But it's not good. Uh, We need a lot more federal legislation in this country to protect LGBTQ plus people. And unfortunately, we're we're currently on the downward trend. We've got far right extremists that are showing up armed to drag queen storytime events. There have been over 124 incidents targeting drag events across 47 states in 2022, according to GLAAD. It's not been great. There's been the Club Q massacre. There's been lots of shootings. It's been terrible. But know this, that if you are a part of the LGBTQ plus community, find others in your community, in physical space, in meat space, if you can. And find community with them. Support local LGBTQ plus organizations. Your local pride events are a great jumping off point for all of that. That is where you're going to be able to find um, as much positivity as you can. This time of year is very difficult for queer people. And it, (sighs) unfortunately, it's just, we just gotta, we just gotta band together. Family is more than just blood. It's your community
0: as well. It's one of those things, isn't it, where people always say that blood is thicker than water, but it's the blood of the coven is thicker than the water of the womb. And your found family is going to be far more um, important to you if your biological family aren't. It's the solidarity that we find. And even though that um, things are as rough as they are for the United States, From across the water in Scotland, we do show our solidarity for our friends in the United States and um, whatever upbeat support. I I know it sounds so pandering sometimes when I'm like, you know, we got this, guys, let's go. As Mm -hmm. people are literally dying in nightclubs for no other reason than they are part of the LGBT. But it is something that... Um, We are fighting for. Most of the content um, both of us make on our TikToks are about positivity towards the LGBT and trans community and I certainly correct an awful lot of misinformation that is brought out about the trans community especially. So we are fighting. We are not lying down. Mm -hmm. We will get through this. It might just take some time. And it's really
1: just a matter of staying together and understanding that love is far, far stronger than hate. And using that love and banding together and showing that you are in support of other queer people in your community, that will ultimately help you persevere. It may be a long fight. It, we don't know how long it'll be. But knowing that there are others out there that are sharing in that fight is... uh is is a positive. And it's not even just that there are people in your community that are fighting. There are people internationally that are fighting as well. And in fact, we had some pretty big wins in Scotland this week. We did.
0: Um, despite um, an awful lot of right-wing people being against it, the gender recognition reform bill was passed um, yesterday in Scotland and I think it was 86 votes to to like 30 something votes. So it, it was a very big margin that it was passed by. Now unfortunately there are people who disagree with it, there are people like JK Rowling is (sighs) centred in Edinburgh and she is leading the charge against uh, trans people in Scotland and the UK and obviously they're all up in arms fighting to either block this uh, act from going any further or they're just determined to spread misinformation about the the act and about trans people in general to try and get people on their side in their fight against the existence of trans people and to that Scott. Scotland has said, I get fucked because (laughs) we have passed it. We've actually had a gender recognition bill since I think it was, um, I was reading on um, the government website that I think it was 2004 that we had one, but unfortunately it did involve getting a gender dysphoria diagnosis before you could um, continue on with changing your gender in any way. So um, that has been altered, Um, but I did read that it does not include non-binary people. Now, don't quote me on that. People have just been reporting to me that it does not yet include non-binary people. So that is the next fight. But if anybody is prepared to do it, it's going to be Scotland. We've sent up two middle fingers to um, the anti-trans organisations that are trying to shut us all down and... We're still fighting. It's not over yet because obviously, like I say, they are trying to get it blocked so that it doesn't carry on or they're trying to like uh, make it out like anybody can just now change their gender through this act, which is, of course, ridiculous. Um, And they're also trying to claim that people will abuse it in order to change their gender to enter uh, safe spaces for women and young girls, which, again, is ridiculous Nobody would ever do that. However, there are safeguards involved. People are still disputing the safeguards. Apparently a false gender application it uh, can result in anything between two years in prison to, an, I believe, I read it said an unlimited fine or both. You can get the time in prison and the fine. Um, and there is also a way to challenge um, anybody who you think is falsely applying. Now, there's obviously problems involved in that as well. Oh
1: my gosh, at that point, yeah. like how much the, the the turfs are going to love that part of the bill.
0: Oh, they hate every single part of this bill. Even that, like th- these safeguards have been put in place to appease the people who are opposing it, and they will—they s- will never be appeased oh, yeah. as long as trans people exist and as long as trans people get anything nice. Like it's it's turned into one of those things now where whenever JK Rowling tweets out about trans people I get excited. I'm like, well, "What win have we had?" because if JK is tweeting about it, trans people have just gotten something nice. Have gotten something good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong though. I'm not excited about what I read. Oh god, yeah. Out,
1: it's 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 like reading a cesspool every time you open up Twitter. It's awful.
0: And there are people in Scotland who are To to be honest, this whole discussion has brought out not only the best in Scotland, but the worst. And we are divided, Uh, which is a shame because an awful lot of these trans rights bills that we're getting will also benefit women. Um, And I wish that they would understand that, like literally everything that people are saying that um invalidates trans people also invalidates women. And the day that people realize that we're fighting the same fight, trans people, women, anybody who does not benefit from the, I, I hate using the word the patriarchy, but anybody that does not benefit from that, we're all fighting the same fight. And we're all in not to, again, not to not to sound like a fucking high school musical quote, but we're all in this together. <laughs> Can we just please? Fight the same fight rather than fighting each other. That's what they want. They want us to fight each other. It distracts us from the shit that
1: they're doing behind our backs. And not only that, but if you look at, like, all of the groups that are supporting the gender critical movement, it's all far-right groups. All of these people are all, like, they are anti-women. They're anti-minorities. These are the same groups that are going to be pushing that kind of legislation, that kind of rhetoric, but apparently to the TERFs, it's like, ah, oh, well, they're they're supporting us, so that must mean that we've got something to say. It's like, no, you you everything that you're doing is undermining women's rights. Everything that you're doing is undermining LGBTQ plus rights. Everything that they're doing
0: is doing that. It's it's literally when you see J.K. Rowling supporting someone like Matt Walsh and just thinking to yourself, what is going on? Yeah. Oh, my God, Matt
1: Walsh. I, I don't even want to get into that guy because he's no. he's one of the worst that America has, worst. Uh, has, has, has put out. I mean, just uh, that entire right wing ecosystem here in the United States is just it's despicable because what they'll do is they'll find a um, they'll find a story that is mostly innocuous and then they'll run it through their filter of misinformation, and and they'll put something out. So, like, one of the big things that they were doing that they tried to make into a big anti-trans fight was they were talking about how schools are putting litter boxes in schools for kids that identify as as cats. Well, they they they're not doing that. They are putting litter boxes in schools. The reason why is far more depressing. It's because in the event of a school lockdown during a shooting, the kids will have somewhere to go to the bathroom. Oh it's, my God. Yeah. Like that's the actual story and it's so much more depressing, but that's the story that they don't want to talk about because they don't want to talk about the other issue that's happening in the United States, which is gun violence is off the charts because we have no gun control legislation.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's a lot it's honestly despicable that people and I, I, I include obviously most tariffs are women but um it's honestly despicable that anybody would use women and children to shield a defense that masks their own transphobia like i would actually prefer it if people just said i hate trans people rather than mask it behind oh, trans people just exist so that they can erase women, even though literally no change has happened to women. Nothing has happened to women. You can still call yourself a mother. You can still use your own pronouns. Sis is not a pronoun. Let's just say that right now. Like, none of this affects these people in any way, but they have to make it all about them. Trans people can't have nice things. There's some real honest issues out there that we need to address. Like, there are... Dangerous and violent men. There are children that are in danger and what about little boys? Nobody talks about little boys Like it's all women and young girls, but little boys are just as likely to be in dangerous situations And nobody ever talks about them. It's almost like it's not about the children. It's only supporting other people they Don't support you, but just support your dislike of trans people and it's all blown out of proportion. It's all snowballing and the amount of comments that I get on my TikToks of just plain lunacy of all of these fabricated what ifs that aren't even happening. They might as well be saying that they're afraid of the dark. Do you know what I mean? Like, trans people are now the boogeyman. It's so wild to me,
1: because I see these comments on your on your TikTok all the time, and the kind of stuff that I get is I, I just get a bunch of homophobic stuff, and, like, I'll get people who are very biphobic on my content, well, they'll say stuff, you know, like, well, if you're bisexual, how can you say that you're bi if, if you are attracted to more than two genders? It's like, listen, it's... It's a common misconception here. I get, I get that by means two, but that's not what this means. (laughs) Language is not, language isn't exact. It's, it's an evolutionary thing. It's a thing that evolves over time. Language is
0: adaptable.
1: Exactly. So that's
0: why people are so mad about this whole introduction of the word cis, Mm -hmm. because as language develops and as we need language to progress along with ideas and and, and developments in our social um, understandings, we need opposites. So, like, nobody complains that night has the opposite of day. Nobody complains that up is the opposite of down. But everybody complains that cis is the opposite of trans. I literally heard someone the other day from like Germany or somewhere saying that cis was like an acronym for comfortable in skin. And I'm like, it's literally not though. It's literally not. It is a scientific term that means on the same side of like mm-hmm. molecules that appear on the same face or 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 atoms that, are, that appear on the same face of a molecule. I can't remember. Someone please correct me. Trans are, are ones that appear on the opposite side. So like somebody who is the gender, if they are the same gender that they were assigned with at birth, They're on the same side as their gender, therefore they're cis. Anyone who is trans is on a different gender from the one assigned to them at birth, therefore they're on the opposite side, the opposing side, therefore they are trans. They are umbrella terms. You don't have to introduce yourself as cis ever. I cannot state this enough. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. That's the joy of language. It's up to you. Nobody is taking your womanhood away from you by referring to you as someone who was born a woman. If anything, we're agreeing with you. You are a woman. <laughs>
1: well done. Yes, congratulations. This is the point we're trying to make is that it's okay to identify however that you want and it's important that we respect others and how they identify. And Absolutely. It's so easy to do. It's not even a difficult change in our language. If you don't know somebody's gender or pronouns, using they has always been a thing that we say. If we don't under, if we don't know who... Well, hey, somebody, uh, do you know who took the trash out? Oh, I think I saw somebody take it, but I didn't know if they did or not. Well, hey, guess what? You just used non-gendered language saying that. Yeah. We're using they, them to determine a person that we don't know whose gender they were. We don't know that person's identity. Therefore, we're using they, them. It's not that difficult.
0: I, I taught English seven years as a a second language in a foreign country that that I had to explain all of this kind of like grammar and and structure too. And that was one of the examples that we used. We, We used the example of a lost wallet. So like you're walking down the street and you find a wallet. There's no license in it. There's no name on it. It's just a wallet. You go to the police station, you hand it in and you're like, I found someone's wallet. Can I leave it here for them so that when they come looking for it, they can find it here with you? All of that was they, them, because we don't know if the wallet belongs to a man, a woman, a non-binary person, we don't know. And it was just natural and it sounded absolutely fine because it's always been fine. But now suddenly, people who don't like the idea of trans people or non-binary people have suddenly decided that language does not work for them anymore. And they, them doesn't work for them anymore. And I don't know why. It seems odd to me, an English teacher who has taught this for seven years.
1: Non-binary people and trans people have existed for as long as humans have existed. So we've had non-gendered language to describe people for as long as we have had language. It has evolved and it has changed over time now we're using more words to describe more people and like i'm seeing mm. that they're so like this isn't even bringing up like you know neo-pronouns which i think are beautiful like the fact that we've actually adapted language to create new pronouns to make people feel like this is my identity is so cool like it's just I think a, so
0: too like ah, who is so it cool. hurting at the end of the day like literally no l- one literally no one it's obnoxious that people think that this is not
1: <laughs> it's like this is the natural evolution of language. This is how our societies have always functioned is uh, our language begins to evolve. Uh, the t- the terms that we use change over time as people like, OK, so example, the word irregardless didn't exist in the in the English language, yeah. but people have used it enough. Now it does exist like it is a thing that people do use and it is a thing that they say and it exists. It might not be perfectly grammatically correct, but it's still a word that exists in this language now. So,
0: if you're okay with that, <laughs> like seriously, what's going on? Like, that's the joy of language, especially in English. It is adaptable. It is customizable. Like you can, like slang develops all the all, all the time, and 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 you can hear people. I, I reckon that people must think that. Gender and uh, like pronouns and stuff like that are on the same level as slang. Cause like I can just imagine people sitting at home being like, "Oh, kids these days using their hula hoops and their hopscotch and their neo pronouns." (laughs) Back in my day, all we had to do to identify each other was slap each other in the face, and we just fucking knew. I'm like, "That's, that's a good story, Grandpa. But you know what? We as a society, we are progressing forward. And change is scary for people and I just want to sympathize for a split second and only a split second that I understand that change and development is scary for some people that does not justify or um, give you the golden ticket to make it horrible for other people just because you don't like it. If it's literally not illegal, hurting anyone, people are just trying to make it illegal so because they don't like it. It's It's really disheartening in some cases. However, that said, get with the times or get left behind. Do you know what I mean? Time moves ever onwards. People aren't going to be alive forever. So why make their life hard? It just doesn't make sense to me. We should all be just... We all just want to love our lives. That's really all it is. Um,
1: I remember Mm. um, I was this was right after the Club Q shooting, the local Silicon Valley Pride organization that uh, that I work with um, organized the vigil outside of uh, the Billy DeFrank LGBTQ plus center in um, Mm. in San Jose. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful vigil where we, you know, there was a group of maybe about between 20 and 30 people that were there and we had candles and we had, um, we had flowers that we had placed down and there was a microphone that was set up so that each of us could go up and just say some words. And I had gotten up and I was just talking about the despair that I was feeling over uh, over the tragedy. And while I was in the middle of talking about it, three guys walked past us on the street. They walked around us. And one of them yelled, Go Trump! And I just stopped for a second on the mic. And everybody that was at the thing, we all just (sighs) rolled our eyes. And I looked at the guy and I said, Man, we just want to live our lives. Like, we don't want to... We don't want to be political. We don't want you to think of us as a nuisance. We don't want to affect your life at all. We just want to live our lives as mundanely as we decide we want to do it or as supremely interestingly as we want to. Just let us live. Let us just exist in this space without you coming into it and attacking us for no reason. And I remember that, like, the people around were like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, we just want to live, man. Just chill out. Let us be who we want to be. Instead of coming here and screaming your nonsense, and it is nonsense, just to try to get a response from us or to try to show that you're somehow better, you're not better than us. Every every human on this earth is as baseline mediocre as you could imagine the human race can be. And 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 we just want to be able to have the ability to live and to do what we want to do, to have jobs and have space in society where there is space for us. There are people in this world that have decided that that's not what they want, and we just need to fight and against it.
0: They will use the same argument against us as well. Like they're trying to say that we are trying to come into their spaces when it's it's difficult to um, really get across that um, we're trying to create safe spaces for ourselves, and they infiltrate our—but it's, it's a they-them type thing. Yeah. Not to come back to the they, them type, but it's it's a them and us type of thing is what I'm trying to say. And it shouldn't be. It should be um, a, just an us type thing. We're, we're all trying to live our lives. We're all trying to do the same thing. But you do get, like um, the other day, I got a really nasty comment where people were saying that, you know, and I a quick trigger warning right now, um, is that people are more excited about their own leisure time than the lives and well-being of the mentally ill and they were referring to trans people and these kind of people exist and they always will and one of the best things you can do as a member of the LGBT community is accept that these people exist because they're not going away and they will always be here if it's not they hate trans people it's they hate people from a different country it's they hate cats or it's they hate the colour green do you know what I mean? like they will always find they're, they're bless, and I do mean this with as little disrespect as possible, but they are miserable and they will always be miserable and they will not be less miserable until they think that everybody else around them is as miserable as they are. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately we have to accept that these kind of people will exist regardless of what happens. So we, we just have to make sure that we are banding together because there's nothing worse and infighting in the LGBT community. And boy, do we get a lot of that as well.
1: There are people that, um, and this is so extremely important, especially to younger uh, LGBTQ plus people, meet other people that are your identity in your community. Find ways to do so, um, because you're going to find a very myriad kaleidoscopic smorgasbord of identities and ways that people are going to describe themselves. And it's not pretty. It's messy. People are messy. And they're not going to describe themselves in the perfect kind of verbiage that you are going to be expected to hear online. Yeah, so as long as you're able to meet those people, those people are are they're a part of the community, and they are important. There are older queers that, fought and died for us in the 1980s yes. or that are now surviving. And they they lost friends, many, many, many friends over the years. Um, and they're very messy. They may use language that you might not be super comfortable with. Um, I've heard the F-slur from, uh, from elder queers before, and it made me uncomfortable until I realized, like, I shouldn't be uncomfortable with this. I'm among other people that are a part of this identity. So... I shouldn't be uncomfortable. And so I moderated my own comfortability. I don't know if that's a word. Comfort. I I moderated my own comfort, too. And I study in English, too. But I obviously was not very, not paying attention very much. Let me tell you what. You're okay. Um, So I moderated my own comfort so that I could meet everyone where they were and understand that the more that we fight together against the external threat the more we will see positive change so we have to work together and that means working with people that you may not always feel are going to use the correct language at all times
0: that said i want everybody if, if there are any younger lgbt or trans people listening um, i do want you to remember that nobody can tell you what your gender is it's it's yes. you you have to listen to yourself Obviously, talk to other people, find what works best for you. Try on some names, try on some pronouns, whatever it is that you need. Explore your sexuality, um, but at the same time, remember that nobody can tell you what it is. Only you can determine who you are, how you identify, and that is, is valid because it is yours. And not to sound like this is... Like a losing war or anything. This is something that, I mean, look at look at how the LGBT community has, has come since the 80s. Uh, look at everything they went through and look how far they are now. Yes, things are starting to fall backwards but we're not going to stand for that. It's not going, we're not going to let it slide. This is something that we will continue to fight for so don't lose hope is the message that I want to put out. Don't lose hope. It may seem hopeless when you're by yourself, which is why, and uh, like I will also say, find people in your community, find people who you can band together so you don't feel that loneliness. We are having too many um, reports recently of people in the LGBT community who are not here anymore because they internalise. I, I don't want to say anything, I don't want to trigger anybody, but it's it's still a very important thing to find that solidarity in in the in in the group so that you don't feel alone for reasons but um but from the perspective of a scottish trans person from scotland my message to everyone is that there are people that do support us there are people who understand that trans people are not the problem. Trans people just want to live their lives and that the problem lies in violent men and 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 people like that who want to actually harm other people and not just harm trans people. So we just need to find them. We need to find them and we need to put them in power places so that everything is even and not dictated by people who are already set in their biases. Yeah. And we'll get there. We
1: will. We're 100% going to get there. And I think one of the things that's definitely going to help with that is having more media that is LGBTQ plus friendly and that tells more queer stories. And I, you know, this isn't me trying to transition away from this conversation,
0: but I will say
1: one of the best things about uh, a company like BioWare is that over the years they have been very, very good about listening to their audience about things. And yeah, they make a lot of mistakes, but over the years, they've gotten better and better and better, and I have a lot of hope for Dragon Age Dreadwolf that things are going to get uh, even better when that game comes out. Even, we're going to see some good representation in that game.
0: Even gayer. Things are going to get even gayer and even transer and
1: even gooder. Even non binary non binaryer. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Even more (laughs) non-binary. Frenzier and gayer. Let's go bioware. Let's go bioware. Let's go. That was an excellent segue, by the way. Well done. Thank you. Legally, you work in radio. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sometimes I talk well, sometimes I talk not well. I speak English and
0: very (laughs) poor English. So (laughs) same, I'm Scottish man. I taught it, but I was always up there kind of like, when are they gonna find out?
1: so did you ever find uh, this is this is totally off topic but did you ever find that like when you were teaching your students english would they learn english with a scottish accent
0: the funniest story that i have right is that in japan um drinking parties with your colleagues are a big thing they're called these they're 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 called um nomikais i forgot the word there for a second it's literally just drink and meet nomikai. Mm -hmm. so they're called nomikais um and it's a way to um, uh, get in good with your colleagues and get to know your boss and stuff. And the the, the whole premise is that you drink and you have you, you let loose. And um, there was my very 1st nomikai that I ever went to. Um, obviously, the teachers were coming up to get to know me and just asking me questions. And they found out that I was from Scotland. And the PE teacher was one of the tallest Japanese men I've ever seen. He was like six foot four or something like that which at the time was like a, a giant for a, a Japanese man. And I just remember coming up to him being, and, and he asked me in Japanese, he said, um, is there a word in English that you use for like drink it in one? And I said, well, in Scotland, we say down it. And he repeated it back. And he this tall, blatantly Japanese man just went down it. And it was perfect. <laughs> it was beautiful. And I was like, yes, I want all of my students the sounds down it because like the ow oh sound is a sound that i can't get away from in my accent no matter how much i try and it was beautiful it was the perfect like copy of my accent down it and i was like yes yes i want this so that's one of the best stories that i have which just this um japanese man in a scottish accent saying down it down it down it oh that's
1: so perfect <laughs> i love that it so much
0: brilliant funny thing is is that i had to teach american english so it was really really difficult for me to say like because naturally football for me is, is soccer for mm-hmm. you yeah um so i would i would forget so they would ask me like football is soccer right i'm like yeah but then it got to a, i got to it got to the point where we where we, ha- where we had to do clothing <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> so in japan japan has the same word for underwear as we do in scotland it's pants but obviously that means trousers Mm -hmm. in America so it got to a point in American English where we had to say Susie has a yellow shirt a blue cap and brown pants and I was like (laughs) just me and the kids just (laughs) laughing at pants brown (laughs) pants so it wasn't just that they learned my accent they also learned like the the cultural differences between American English and Scottish English, so it was really really fun. Honestly, I miss it a lot. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so, Dragon so Age. <laughs> oh my god, yes, I'm so ready. Right, heavy, <laughs> heavy spoiler um, warning because we're going to get. Into the nitty gritty.
1: Yes. So first, let's go over. Um, I, I just want to do a real quick recap of episode one. A Woman Unseen. We meet the team, Fairbanks, Miriam, Hera, Lachlan, Roland, and Quidian. They are tasked with getting the Circulum Infinitus from the Summer Palace into Winter. Basically, the entire rest of the episode is them preparing to do so. And we kind of learn everybody's little ins and outs how they work uh Quidian has this really cute moment where she uh looks at uh at Lachlan and says hey if you don't want him I'll take him uh over Roland which I loved Miriam and Hera obviously are an item from years past uh there's also a moment where Lachlan and Roland are sparring and Lachlan says yeah you should ask your girlfriend and Roland goes i don't have a girlfriend and then lacklain
0: blushes,
1: oh, so and it's so oh. cute and really like a lot of that episode is kind of the buildup of okay here's where the characters are we know that miriam used to be she used to be a slave for tevinter um we know that she's going back into the palace that she used to live in and there's going to be some conflict there the team is a not sure about each other fairbanks is kind of holding everyone together and then miriam agrees she breaks into the palace helps everyone else get into the palace we're in end of episode one
0: (laughs) it's a brilliant introduction to all of the characters if you ask me it it showcases them and their personalities perfectly
1: yeah and i think uh, one of the things that you said in the last episode that i i really liked was that quidian was like, presented as this comic relief character, but she's really not only that. She is very funny and is often the funniest part of any episode she's in. Um, but she's not just that. She has a lot more depth to her than um, than you would think that. It, it. I wish that we would get more information about her because she is a Kunari mage, which is a whole thing <laughs> in the queue. It's a
0: whole thing. She's a Sarah bus Yeah. Like, and not only that, but it's one of those things where it's made really really obvious that the kunari are hated into winter and yet she doesn't get any grief at mm-hmm. all like not once does anyone pull her up about like like miriam gets pulled up like they have to pay gold to let her just get into the city in case she kicks off but um Quirion doesn't get like an eye batted at or like not even when she goes into the shop to get all of the supplies that the guy behind the counter isn't like a Kunari, the fuck it's just um it would have been nice to see a little bit more about how um Kunari are um received into Vinter if I'm honest but that said the only other gripe that I have with Quirion and let me just preface this by saying that I like Quirion a lot. She's the comic relief, but I really like it when she does have her serious moments as well, like when she's helping. Uh, I won't get too much into the 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 the, the forward episodes, but um, when she's like helping um, the slaves escape, um, I thought she was brilliant there. She's obviously a really capable mage, but uh, the comic relief—I don't know if I'm just being defensive—but the comic relief always seems to get left out. She's the only one that doesn't kiss anyone, which is fine. I'm here for the asexual representation, or just for the the the, the non um, relationship representation as well. I, I know this is again just me projecting. I would love to see the goofy comic relief character. Get the girl or get the guy or get the non-binary guy and just be like, see, look, you can be... Cute and goofy and, and 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 quirky and and comic reliefy as well, and still get the romance option if you want. But then again, um, there's probably like, there's no there's no harm in that. I'm not pulling this up as like a gripe, as in Bioware need to do better. No, no, no. no. <laughs> is a Quirian is a fantastic character. Um, leave her alone. She's brilliant. That's the only thing. And to be honest, if that's the only thing that I have to say about Quarian, which is again a big nitpick then we're doing well. This, yes. is, this is a good thing. <laughs> we're off to a
1: great start, and that's only episode yeah. one. Wait, was the bar
0: fight episode one or
1: episode two? That is also episode one.
0: In the bar fight, why is the bald guy hot? Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> why is the arsehole bald mage hot? I swear, I don't have a type. I swear. However, Solus, <laughs> Patrick Stewart, bald man, hello he sounded like Sam Regal as well. I couldn't find his voice um actor um listed anywhere. So if anybody knows, but he just he just reminded me of Sam Regal and it was Sat this just gorgeous dickhead bald mage just picking a fight in a bar because he's fucking pushing his magister weight around and then getting his arse handed to him. Mwah! Oh, it's yes. just
1: perfect. And that bar fight More was of him, great.
0: Oh, that bar fight was so good.
1: <laughs> I have a feeling because of the way that, that Bioware likes to do a lot of these kinds of things is they'll throw characters in that you'll know from other media. So for example, like in, in Dragon Age Inquisition we got characters from Asunder that would occasionally show up. Fairbanks is another great example of a character who is a tiny little role in just one quest or it was like maybe two quests in Dragon Age Inquisition in the Emerald Graves and he's literally in the first three episodes is a big part of this series. Um, Major. And it's just like, hey, here's this guy. We know he's of royal blood, and he knows the Inquisitor personally. And now he is on a quest uh, for the Inquisition to go get the Circulum Infinitus. And I love that there are. This is almost like the um, either the MCUification of the Dragon Age universe or the Star Warsification of the Dragon Age universe. And I'm here for it, uh, where every little character is important in their own certain way because they all have a different, interesting story and place in the story. It's cool.
0: I love the 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 tapestry weaving all of these stories in and out of each other to create the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. It is exactly, um nom give me more, I'm hungry. nom 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 nom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on episode one? Uh, yeah, I love um, that they touched on, because obviously in episode one, um, when we first see Miriam, um, she's got her face covered, like her mm-hmm. face markings covered. And um, up until Inquisition, we know that face markings on elves denote to the gods or or, or um, entities or whatever, things that they believe in, things that they, they, they're they sacred to them. We find out through Solus or through Trespasser, depending on how you play the game, that these Valislin were originally in ancient elven times slave markings. And now we see that Tevinter still follows that tradition. Mm-hmm. The slave markings are brands that mark... Um, the slaves as the properties of the magisters that own them and I thought that was really cool I know that that's not revolutionary new things but the fact that outside of the Tevinter Imperium nobody knew that mm-hmm. nobody knew that they were slave markings otherwise like your Inquisitor I don't know if like the daily shelves are just that shut off from the rest of the world but everybody else was really surprised when we found out that oh my god the Vaselines, they're slave markings and we get and then we go to Tevinter and it's literally a thing and I I wonder because can you imagine? And this is just hypothetical. I'm not. I'm, I'm nitpicking again. But can you imagine if Dorian had a conversation with the Inquisitor about their facial markings because he comes from Taventa and he knows that that's what that is. But obviously the Dalish have established their facial markings as how they worship their gods. So I wondered if Taventa knows that, um, like the Dalish are separate from their traditions, which were taken. I don't know. It, it would have been it would have been interesting to talk about it. I wonder, too, if how many
1: free elves they actually have in Vinter that they would be able mm-hmm. to know that as well. Um, I was actually thinking of um, when you find out that the Vallaslene is slave markings or were traditionally slave markings in um, in the ancient world. My first thought was it's like the caseless in the Dwarven kingdoms because the caseless are all branded on their face as well. I thought about that, and I thought about how related that was, and if that was kind of a holdover from that ancient time of perhaps these dwarves were also slaves, or were enslaved somehow, and they were also marked that way, and over time it just was a continuation of that tradition of these people are outside of the nobility, so they must be branded.
0: Um, I don't know. We 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 know that the dwarves, um, the ancient dwarves had some ties to the ancient elves. Um, we've seen that in codexes and we've seen that in like tags and other artifacts that we find. So it's highly possible that maybe they had similar traditions, um, but that's not clear yet. The only other thing that I can think of now that I've brought this up that I just thought of whilst we were talking was, um, you know, like Fenris does bring up his markings at some point being like oh yeah your your markings are different at least yours aren't like mark you as like the property of of a magister or something like that so maybe maybe it is just um seen as separate in all regards like the dwarves have their thing the dalish have their thing the tevinters have their thing yeah so um but i thought it was really really interesting to to see because we know that the tevinter traditions come from the ancient elves. Not all Tavintans know that because Dorian finds out that it wasn't um Tevinter that defeated the ancient elves. The elves defeated themselves. The elves warred against themselves. And he's surprised to hear that. So I guess it's not so surprising, but it still would have been nice if you if you played like a Daleish elf. Dorian to be like, so into Winter this is what markings on the face mean for us or something, but I suppose that would have given the game away, so maybe that's just yeah. a, a huge nitpick on on my um, part just because I wanted that juicy lore, but
1: I, I'm still working my way through the books, so I don't know mm-hmm. if there's anything in any of the Dragon Age books that also answers any of these questions. I'm currently, I'm just that's working also, through the Stolen Throne right now, so and it's just that's
0: something I can not comment on as well. Yeah. I, I have not um, made my way through all the books, so if anybody knows anything, I would love to hear it. Follow the Fade Cafe on Twitter at the Fade Cafe at Twitter. Dot com. That's not the address. But <laughs> <laughs> look for the Fade Cafe wherever you get your podcasts, and also
1: wherever you get your tweets. So, so like the Twitter. Yeah. So the Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in episode two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh,
1: episode two: The Will of the Maker. We meet Razarin and Tasia, the main antagonists. They encounter the Circulum in a vault underneath the temple. And they call on a spirit of wisdom to get more information about it. The spirit says, I can't tell you anything about this. And not only can that spirit not tell you anything about this, but they know of another that wants the Circulum. And when asked and pressed, who is it that you work for? And who is it that wants the Circulum? <clears throat> Solus. <soulless. clears throat> they keep pressing. And it was when Rezar and uh, ...attempts to compel the spirit to do so, that the spirit becomes corrupted and becomes a pride demon. They fight. We discover that Razar and Tasia are kind of a thing. And um, as they defeat the, the pride demon and they banish the demons, they um, leave the Circulum where it is. Meanwhile, our party is now entered into the temple... Everyone is now in search of the Circulum. They're looking to find their way in. They get a little bit distracted as some people go off to go and fight the um, push away, the, the Temple Guards. And then we have uh, the rest of the group going and trying to find where Hera and Fairbanks are. Hera and Fairbanks have found the Circulum. But what happens is, dun dun dun, there's two competing factions within the team already. One person seems to be working for the Inquisition, and the other one appears to be working for someone else. We don't know who. Uh, so Hira has ulterior motives. We don't know exactly what is happening with that either way, but she and Fairbanks go at it, and they almost kill each other. Fairbanks gets away. Hira doesn't get the circulum, but Fairbanks does, and he's, he's off. She gets locked in the um, in the vault as something rumbles in the background. Fairbanks barely escapes, Miriam discovers him at the meeting point, bleeding out on the floor, he hands her the circulum, and before he can say anything, he dies. And right as he dies, the rest of the party walks on in and goes, um, Miriam, what's the deal? Meanwhile, the vault explodes, and things start happening all over the temple, all hell starts breaking loose. And everybody is kind of going, uh, what's actually happening here? Because it appears that there is a lot more going on than anybody actually uh uh had any idea of when they were when they were beginning. I loved this episode so much. Was a brilliant episode. Because it was like it was the exact plan of like a DD party going in to go and do something, and then everything goes wrong. <laughs> just the fact that we had uh we have now two people in the party that are that are fighting why are they fighting well we don't know until later and we're going to discover that in a a little bit but the fact that we we've got that intrigue going on we have um the fact that uh, uh uh we've got a lot of like spells going off like ancient spells that are activating and firing off in the temple um there's that amazing moment where a rage demon pops up in front of quidian and she goes huh huh boom it explodes the thing and she runs away it's, amazing. it's so good so good i love ashley birch's acting there it's so fantastic um and then we get the first hints that everybody's not really on the same page here right at the very end when fairbanks is dead this one character that we've known for a while is suddenly dead and the circulum infinitus passes into miriam's hand um, I also love this because this episode uh, gives us our introduction, obviously, to Rezarin, the um, the main antagonist of the series. And let me say that at this point in the episode, as he was doing his thing, I turned to my partner and I said, oh, no, he's hot.
0: <laughs> yep, I did, too. <laughs> yep. I turned to my partner and I was like, how do I cosplay this boy? <laughs> it's a cosplay him. Um, the, the thing about Rez is that he is everything that Tever is um he's a magister he's a high ranking magister he's nobility um he's uh, got a direct link to the divine the black divine um he practically i think um begged the black divine to be the the person who did the research on the artifact the circulum um is is his responsibility and it's uh, obviously his his motives for why it's so important to him, like the Circulum is so important to him, comes uh, in later episodes, so I won't press on it too much right now, but just the opening scene, as soon as we see him and Tasia in the vault, and and they're having their their back and forth their conversation. He's, he he makes the summoning circle to summon the um, spirit of wisdom, the memory spirit, so that he can get some information on the curriculum um, from someone who would have been there because like spirits obviously are ancient. That whole opening scene from them talking to the pride demon fight is probably my favourite lore dump. the entire series and it just it's so exciting when they talk to the memory spirit we find out that the circulum is the work of one Amelia Pavis with the name drop (laughs) Pavis hello Dorian do you want to talk about your ancestors and what they're up to So obviously, Dorian being a necromancer has connections to reviving the dead and the circulum literally brings the dead back to life. So it's not surprising to me that um, somewhere along the family line, that um, this has, has become like their entire family personality is raising the dead. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for the name drop. That was my first kind of like ding, 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 ding moment where we got like the Pavis name drop. Mm-hmm. Very exciting.
1: Uh, we also know that Dorian is not exactly in the best relationship with his family and his family's history. Part of the reason why mm-hmm. he was in Ferelden at the time is he was running away from his family into Winter. So we know that his family has been doing some really sneaky and shady things, and after meeting his dad, we know that his dad's not exactly a very nice fella, and uh, and the rest of his family is really not very good. However, they are high-ranking magisters within the Tefenter Imperium, so they have a lot of sway, they have a lot of power, and it appears that Amelia Pavus was one of the people that was... Doing some research into blood magic as well. We do learn over the course of this series. I don't remember if it was in episode two or not. I think it is in episode two where uh, Tassia does say blood magic is illegal. Illegal in air quotes because there are... It's frowned upon. It's frowned upon. They don't want you to use it, but there are many in Tevinter that know a thing or two about the blood magic.
0: Yeah, Tevinter always... um... It's it's like um, the Masks of Orlay, they wear the masks to play the game. Mm-hmm. Publicly, blood magic and summoning demons and all of that is disapproved by the um, people of Tevinter. However, the Magisters hold the power and what they do behind closed doors is one nobody's business. And even if somebody did question them, they have the power to make them not question them. So, it's one of those things where outwardly they're like, blood magic! now not here not in the imperium and then they close the door and then they're like right well blood magic for dinner do you know what i mean like we've got blood magic at home so i'll have a set of blood magic of-
1: with a with a <laughs>
0: with a cocktail yeah, yeah. yeah. well a, a cocktail of demon summoning and
1: we've got um, some blood sausage here and some blood wine it's gonna be delicious a delightful meal
0: and here we have slavery for dessert. Do you know what oh. I mean? It's just like, Tav- good old Tevinter. Yeah. So there's an awful lot going on in Tevinter right now. And I think it's summed up really, really, really well. As a, as a, a screenplay storytelling kind of like introduction to Tevinter, I love this opening scene with Tasia, Rez and the spirit summoning. The wonderful thing about this spirit of memory now i'm gonna just nerd the feck out because let's freaking go love this the spirit Of wisdom. There is a quote from Solus in Inquisition where he talks about spirits of wisdom and spirits of purpose and the Inquisitor's like I've never heard of spirits like that before and and Solus goes on and he says yes but we have to protect them because all too readily spirits of wisdom and purpose are corrupted to pride and desire. So we know that when spirits of wisdom um, are removed from their purpose or corrupted in any way they turn to pride. So the second that we saw the Spirit of Wisdom with the six or seven eyes on the forehead uh, like a pride demon. I was like, yes, yes. Now we're bringing that into, we're showing that development in in the lore knowledge that we have. And then I got excited, obviously, because I'm a huge monster fucker and pride demons can wreck me any day. So I knew there was one coming and I was just like, let's fucking go. But the things that the Spirit of Wisdom says are really interesting. So like the... I think the spirit confirms that the artifact brings people back from the dead now people I want to talk about something that is put your tinfoil hats on because people know that the dead becomes like spirits when when people die and um spirits come from the fade blah 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 so what if? And second use for the circulum isn't just bringing the dead back to life, but making spirits flesh. Discuss. (laughs) So, like, what if... Because there's a spirit that you meet in Crestwood, the spirit of command, I believe that they are, and it barks commands at you and you've got to go and kill the rage demon that's underneath Crestwood. Yes. And then you come back. And then, as soon as that purpose is fulfilled, then the spirit can cross over. But... Um, there's a dialogue, I think, with either Cole and Solus or just Solus, where um, the the command spirit barks at Cole and says, "Compassion," blah 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 blah, "Compassion," this, "Compassion," that, and Solus tries to say something, and then the, I, I don't quote me on this, but it's some, There's a retort from the spirit, and you can see Solus go from wisdom sharing to pride this and pride that. But he says something like, um, "Be careful, because taking form." gives you power but it also shackles you in flesh or something like that I I can't remember and I've often wondered because obviously Cole was a spirit who made himself flesh but I've often wondered if you could make it happen like if you could if you could take a spirit and and through some form of like Magic. bind them to a physical form. Yes. So I was wondering if that was a thing. That's just my tinfoil hat moment, though. That's probably not what it is. This is like the
1: purview of uh, of some of the areas, like Navarra. We we know that that has the um, the necropolis where a lot of people are studying. Literally exactly that. They're studying death. They're studying bringing spirits back. They're studying all of that stuff. So, And they, and
0: they put spirits into corpses right now to give them that physical form. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we learn about the artifact is that it brings people back from the dead. But obviously, there's a cost. A life for a life. Blood magic is what drives the thing. You cannot just create life out of nothing. You need to sacrifice life in order to give life, which is where the blood magic thing comes in. Mm-hmm. So... It's so funny that you brought up, you know, like Solus might be looking for this artifact because, you know, like in order for him to like factory reset the earth. If he if he does kill everybody in the world and then use that life force energy and the artifact to bring back all of the dead elves and reset the world back to his time when Arlathan was in power. Oh wow. But he but the problem with that is that Solus very specifically states that he does not practice blood magic and never has. In order for that to come to fruition, he would need someone in his service who does, or he's not looking for the artifact. So he either needs someone who who, who dabbles or uses blood magic or knows how to do that, or maybe he doesn't need to know how to, to do it. Maybe in, instead of him having blood magic abilities. Maybe the um, Circulum acts is like a focus that is the the blood magic, um, the, the one that can do the blood magic. So mm-hmm. all Solace needs is the life force from everyone who dies and the, the artifact in order to reset the world. But there's also a bluff because we know, and quick spoiler for the last episode, we know that Meredith is back. So it seems like they're implying that the one looking for the artifact it's Meredith, but what if that's a double bluff? What if that's the red herring? The red lyrium herring, if <laughs> you will. The red lyrium herring, yes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the red knight, the crimson knight herring, if you will. And it's actually um, something that Solus would would need to reset the world, as it were. Back to factory settings. So it's all a whole bunch of, of possibilities have just opened up. So many different avenues have opened up for Dreadwolf. I'm not saying that any of these are the avenues that Dreadwolf is going to take, but oh boy am I excited to just like explore all the what ifs and the the the, the different like story arcs that the that they could go for. It's really exciting. That's actually something that I'm I'm hoping
1: that this series gets a season two, specifically so that we can get mm. a little bit more information because where this season left off not spoiler for for episode six um but where it left off was there is a lot of new directions this team can go in they want to know who's who who wants the circulum infinitus and they they why does the we we want to know why and and again this is a, a general spoiler but not like a huge spoiler but we do know that the um the inquisition wants the circulum for some reason Um, And it could just very well be that it's a dangerous thing and the Inquisition is kind of working behind the scenes to gather dangerous artifacts and keep them out of the hands of the people that will misuse them. And we know that the uh crimson knight wants the circulum infinitus perhaps it's possible that yeah as you said it's it's possible that Solus also wants the circulum infinitus for some reason as as you said is like some kind of conduit that makes my mind explode just thinking about it makes my
0: yeah like, i don't want to put too too much into that just in case it is like me, literally just reaching for any—it's um, but link it's back to bioware. Solisburg. Like this is this is the kind of stuff that they
1: throw into their games. They throw like this yeah. tiny little thing was so important. Why was it important? Well, it was because it set off this massive chain of events that immediately it's like the the events of Dragon Age Awakening are the whole reason why there was a massive war that broke out because we had justice going into Anders and. Because of that, they kind of corrupted each other and turned into whatever the hell else it was, vengeance uh, by the end of Dragon Age 2. So th- yeah, like little things cause big events in this universe. And it's so, so cool to see.
0: It really is. The the, the comment that the spirit made about, you know, should the artifact go to the one that seeks it, all of Tevinter will burn. I wonder if it's Tevinter specifically or if it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's really interesting that they specifically said, to will burn. But um, the, the one thing that caught my eye, and again, I don't know if I'm just reaching, but when the spirit does get corrupted and turns into the Pride Demon, the Pride Demon goes for the Circulum and says something like, this power shouldn't be in mortal hands, but if it was in my hands... And I just wonder, what would a pride demon do with the circulum if mm-hmm. given the chance? Like, What could a spirit, or in this case a demon, what could they do with it if they had it in their possession? Is it possible that you think that they would be
1: able to create their own body from, like they'd create shackle themselves to um, a physical form? They could make themselves into a physical form and
0: therefore channel their own power through it? Or... that's what that's where the thought came from because if a spirit could make themselves flesh that it gives them an awful lot more power mm-hmm. um but it shackles them to the waking world so they can't go like uh Nicole is different because he made himself what he is so he can sort of flip back and forth between fade and waking but um if you were to Shackle yourself into flesh through this thing. Maybe you couldn't. So uh, maybe, but but but. Sola seems to imply at one point that it does give you more power to have like a physical form. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe an army of. Uh, demons made flesh will be uh, something that we have to contend with in the future. There have been some of the um <clears throat>
1: the the screens that Bioware released for Dreadwolf. We did see armies of the dead, so it's mm. it's entirely possible. Um, and I mean, you know, what's what's really, I I had like a, a really wild thought in the back of my head, which was that oh, I I look forward to figuring out what the Circulum Infinitus does in a war table. in a war table thing and that's it you just get the text oh
0: god no if if we if that's all we get bioware fans will riot we will
1: totally riot
0: (laughs) we are done
1: uh, we already know that people are going to be upset if Quidian isn't in Dreadwolf and nobody can romance her. So <laughs> everybody's already sad about that. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I looked, I looked at the because there is a Kunari lady in the silhouette lineup for the companions, but her horn shape doesn't match Quidian's. So and she a appears little to little use daggers. Yeah, yeah. She seems more roguish. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a relation could be. I we we have to have our big lady. <laughs> Oh absolutely, please. More built Kunari women, please. That would mm-hmm. be fantastic. Uh, any other thoughts on episode two? One of the other one of the other things that we learn in episode two is that the um the temple that the the, the circulum is is held in. Uh, it, it sits on top of like an old temple to one of the old um the old gods. And um the old gods um are still Really relevant in in series like Dreadwolf because obviously like, um, Solus is trying to get into the veil, uh, trying to break down the veil to get into the Fade, and we suspect. Now I think we'll talk about this in in a future episode because I would love to do an episode where we talk about the Dreadwolf um, cinematic that we got where, with Varric talking about Solus because there's so many different symbols in mm-hmm. there that caught my eye and I would love to talk about. And, and one of them was the symbols around the veil. Because we know that um, there have been, what, five blights already? Yes, the and fifth are... blight
1: was, uh, was Dragon Age Origins.
0: That's right. That was um, Urthemiel, the Dragon of Beauty, mm-hmm. was the archdemon for the fifth blight. And there are seven little symbols that go around the veil, one for each of the old gods, or in this case, the archdemons. And there are two left. So Dumat was the first Blight, Zazikiel was the second, Tote was the third, and Doral was the fourth, and Uthemiel was the fifth, which leaves Razikiel and Lusikin, the last two dragons that are left, the Dragon of Mystery and the Dragon of Night. We know that because of the constellation codexes that we get in Inquisition, that the Old God of the Night Lusikin is probably derived from Falon Din, which means that Falon Din is still alive. Um, and then Razakel, I can't remember who Razakel is. Some people are speculating that it is um Andrewil, but with the god of mystery, um, Durthamen was the elven god of secrets, storytelling, and um whispers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I've often wondered if um Falon Din and Durthamen were the same person. One was a mage and one was a spirit. And I wonder if um, that is not the case. But this is just me spitballing at this point. We know that there are two left. And I thought that it would be interesting because when we uh, we hear about it to Vinter, obviously, like the, the temples to the old gods and stuff come up, it makes me wonder if... Because like you said earlier, Bioware doesn't just set things up um they put things in that are important so if uh, i i love that they brought up and they reminded us about the old gods and solus gets mad about talking about you know like defeating the old gods and stuff like that in inquisition and i was just wondering if um we might be cuz in in the trailer for dreadwolf there are two um, beings on either side. I, I really want to talk about this trailer. We'll talk about <laughs> it at some point. <laughs> uh, but yes. that was just one of the things. That was one of the things that I liked about episode two was that it was brought to our attention that there is a temple underneath um, the the palace that is dedicated to an old god. I wish they had told us which one. That would have been nice for me to know as like a lore someone who needs to feast on lore for sustenance. I would have liked to have known who the old
1: god was. I wonder if there is a codex entry or a journal entry somewhere that explains that like Nessam on top of uh, uh, a an old uh, an ancient temple to this god.
0: It's brilliant because like um it is people who are speculating that they're setting up that the the last remaining old gods are Falondin and Andruil. That, that's interesting to me because in Inquisition, when you're in the Temple of Mythol, the two old gods that Solas actually talks about is Andruil and Falondin. And that's when we learn that from Solas' perspective, at least, they were both arseholes and not cool at all. Um, Andruil was mad. We know that Andruil went into the, the void and, and fashioned what we suspect is armor made out of red lyrium, which drove her insane, mm-hmm. um, and then we know that Falandine from Solace's account, uh, personal account, that Falandine just was mad with sacrificial power, and uh, it would be really, really, really interesting to know more about that. The thing, though, is, is that there are nine gods in the ancient Elven pantheon, and there are seven notches around the 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 veil on Solace's fresco. And people are speculating, like, well, obviously one of them is Solas. So if you take that away, then there's eight left. But there's seven mm-hmm. uh, notches to represent the old gods, and I've always wondered if Falandine and Durthamim were the same person. Like how, like how Anders is a mage who is who has like a a spirit inside him, but they're two different entities in mm-hmm. one body. I've often wondered if that is what um, w- what Falandine was the spirit, and and Durthamen was the mage, but. Uh, and that's why that, that would account for seven, because they're counted as one entity. But I don't know for sure. That's just something else that I'm speculating, which is, again, another reason why I kind of wish that we had learned uh, more about the old gods in Tevinter, because for all we know, they've got some information that we don't have yet.
1: There's that great conversation that Solas has with Blackwall, where um, he says to Blackwall, <clears throat> so your order, the Grey Wardens, you're trying to end each of the Blights, correct? And, uh, you know, obviously Blackwall is talking out of his ass, but he goes, uh, well, yeah, that's the the plan. We want to stop all the blights. He goes, yes, well, what then? What will you do after you're done with the blights? And Blackwall is like, I... I don't know. <laughs> like, he has no idea. And Solus is, like, kind of trying to prod him into, into basically being like, what do you think the purpose of the Grey Wardens is? What do you think the Grey Wardens are actually doing when they're stopping the Blights? What do you think you're doing when you take down an archdemon? And what does that mean for the veil? Vale? I wonder if people have speculated that Solus is going to incite two Blights at the same time. So setting off the two final dragons to see what what is going to happen to, like, force the Grey Wardens to take them down. And then in doing so, perhaps that will destroy the veil um, because that'll that'll be the final. The, those are the two final pieces of the puzzle. So it's it's entirely possible that when the Grey Wardens finally defeat the final two, uh, the final two uh,
0: uh, old gods that the veil will collapse. I don't know. We know um, from uh, co- comments and, and codexes in the games that the veil thins um, at points where there is a great amount of loss of life and spirits will gather there as well. I'm pretty sure, I can't say for certain, but I am almost certain that that is how Corypheus um, and the, the Tevinter Magisters entered the, the Fade in the first place. They just sacrificed enough people to thin the veil enough for them to walk through it. So imagine that on a larger scale. like Sola says that everyone has to die. but but he he said it like so like as if like the the veil has already been broken and the raw energy from the fade comes down and, and kills everyone. So, I don't know if he did incite tube lights and set off a chain reaction that would cause enough death that would thin the veil enough that it would shatter then that would be interesting. But where does the artifact come in? The 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 mm-hmm. red lyrium artifact. Mm-hmm. And in in the the um sequence that we see where Varric for for Dreadwolf, where Varric is narrating like um Solus wants to break down the veil, we see him holding up um a weapon that looks like it could be a staff, a dagger, a sword. We don't know, but we do know where the red lyrium idol is. It's inside. What's the name of the sword that Meredith meredith used it was like certainty or something like that or uncertainty or something like that Um, she forged it she took the red lyrium idol it's what drove her mad Mm -hmm. and eventually turned her to lyrium but then her sword was taken and recast for samson so if you side with the mages in inquisition samson appears and he's using meredith's sword and that's where the red lyrium idol is I'm, i'm sure that it's still in that sword And it seems like the Red Lyrium Idol is the key to unlocking the the or shattering the veil, Mm -hmm. or at least Solus seems to imply that it belongs to him and that he needs it. So if it's in the sword, um, I don't know where that's going to take us for the next game. Whether or not we need to find the sword, or maybe the sword has already been reforged, or maybe the Red Lyrium Idol is no longer in the sword or something. But Mm -hmm. um, there's so much going on. There's so much to to take in there's so many different avenues between like the blights between the old gods are the old gods even the evanuris are they their champions are they just nothing are they just something like uh, else that is related i have no idea yeah and it's so fun to speculate but it would be even more fun to find out the answers oh i
1: know i know we just have to wait. Oh gosh! And we had yep. so many questions that were brought up just through episode two in my in my uh, imagination. Like just yeah. just with that conversation with the spirit, we get so much. There's so mm. much rich lore here, as you said. One of the best lore dumps in the entirety of the series. It's fascinating.
0: I loved it. I honestly loved it. Everything about it was just it will sustain me for a like because I need lore <laughs> to feast on to live. It will sustain me for a while at least.
1: Yes. Uh, Any other final thoughts about episode two?
0: I love the introduction of what seems to be a spell or uh, safeguards that are put in to stop people from stealing. Literally just all of the statues turn into like ghouls and spirits and things. And it's interesting to see that kind of magic um, brought in. Um to Tavinter. It seems almost Navarre in, in its in its like corpseiness, but I suppose Venter is also necromancy
1: based, so it yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And in the unfortunate thing that we learn very quickly is that a lot of the corpses that are animated are dead elves. Um because they all the have they are yeah. all they are all former slaves. So uh toventer stands on top of a massive, massive pile of corpses, and that becomes very evident. In episode 3. Yes, it does. Episode 3, The Serpent's Coils. Let's go. The team argues over allegiances while the temple goes into full lockdown because, as we saw... Everything got triggered right at the tail end of episode two. Uh, the team goes in search of Hera. They're battling wave after wave of those dead elves, the ghouls, as they rise up and they just start taking them down one after another, after another, after another. They finally catch up to Hira, who is locked behind a magical barrier um, at the uh, the the front of the uh, uh, front of the vault. Um, Miriam spends a long time trying to figure it out because her girlfriend is stuck. She wants to let her go. Come on, let's let the gays have their win is uh, (laughs) is the energy that is getting poured into this. Meanwhile, we've got Lachlan and Roland just having an absolute blast flirting, fighting together. They're helping each other over and it's just the best. Watching those two go back to back to back and then like, you know saving each other and blushing and it's just like these gays are having a hell of a time and it's great they uh they eventually leave Hira because they hear a roar coming from the deep and they attempt to escape the palace. Uh, while all this is happening, Quidian is helping some elven slaves from demons and ghouls. In one of the the coolest sequences in uh, in the episode, is her doing flame wall, uh, much like in uh, and it's the same like hand motion that you do in Dragon Age Two to do what I think is is it flame pillar or flame wall is the name of the the. Uh, Uh, the magic spell, and it's just so cool, as she raises her hands in the air, a fiery wall goes up, and it just incinerates a bunch of ghouls. It's so, so heckin' cool. Um, and then her channeling lightning at the ghouls, and helping the, the, uh, she's helping the elven slaves to escape and to get out of danger. It's a rad sequence. Um... As they're leaving, they're almost out of the, uh, they're almost out of the temple, they're reaching the meeting spot so they can finally leave, and suddenly they are waylaid by Razarin, his blue hand stopping them in their tracks, uh... Wow, <laughs> this yeah. is the episode where everything goes wrong.
0: <laughs> yep, I do like that that scene with Quitty and helping the, the, the elven slaves. That's my favorite scene and probably my favorite and scene as well. Oh, yeah. Um, just because she's still hilarious, but she also just kicks ass in the moment. And I think it's a nice balance. It's, it's really fun. I like her in that moment. I think it's a wall of fire or something like that. I can't remember the name of the spell, but I know which one you're talking about. Yep. Yep. Um. And it's. I I remember as
1: a as an elemental mage playing through Dragon Age Two. I was just like, "Oh, this is the best!" Because you're just like
0: fireball, and then more fire, and then everything
1: is on fire. It's so fun. It's so so
0: fun. Yeah, that's what I do as well. Like whenever I play a mage, it's either force mage, rift mage, but with spatterings of fire in Mm -hmm. there as well. So uh, yeah, that's that's how I like to play the game as well. So I love it. Just like then a fire mine, walk away, let it do its thing.
1: Yeah, love it. Ah, oh, it's it's such a blast. And to see and to see a lot of the same spells that you normally would see in-game, but I was trying to pick out what spells they were using because all of them uh are things that you can actually do in the game. In terms of like setting down a mine, setting down uh, you know, uh traps for people, and then like fire the the specific firebolts that you're or the, the specific bolts that they're sending out, or just doing normal basic attacks with your with your um uh with your just sending energy balls at the uh uh at your opponents it's it's all the exact same thing and it's just really fun to see uh other mages in universe use those spells to their own effect and to kind of see how that that works out but um
0: ah. yeah i love seeing the dynamic um, when you see like uh, like uh, rogues fighting mages and mm-hmm. how um, each fighting style and each uh, class has their own like dynamics and stuff and how they're they're uh, like one isn't more or less lethal than the other. It's all about the skill of the individual and that's really really cool. So like a rogue could fight a mage. It's not like a, a lost cause. They could fight a mage and win. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like mage equals absolute. Which I which I love um, that that mages aren't just um all powerful and OP. They they have to like also fight their own style and way. I, I loved it. I really loved it. And people, I think, forget that Dragon Age started out as a game inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. So it's really cool to see it in 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 this kind of uh, genre, this kind of format, because it really does, like you said earlier, it just it just sings of Dungeons and Dragons party gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Um, I can hear the dice rolls in the back of my head. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the entire time that that uh, that I was watching it too, my partner and I kept saying, Rogue supremacy, rogue supremacy, because uh, uh Miriam is just so OP in so oh, many yes, situations. Oh, yeah, she is
0: OP though. She's definitely like main character syndrome going on. Do you know what I mean? Like she's got. Well, the... she's also like a
1: tr- literally a trained assassin. Like she is, she is. And, and and um the the only perk that I can think of is in Inquisition when you take the specialization assassin. There's a few of the moves that she's using are kind of similar, but not not quite the same. But it's that same level of she's reached level 10 and she can now take a specialization. And whereas a lot of the rest of the party might be level eight, nine, they're using a bunch of stuff. But she's already at level 10. She's got that specialization so she can really start laying to waste to a lot of things. She's got her like cable um, she's got her daggers that she's throwing it. She's doing the, the dagger, dagger, dagger thing that we hear in critical role all the time. Um, it's so fun to watch her just, you know, flip and spin and cut things yep. off and oh, it's great. We love
0: you, Liam. Dagger, dagger, dagger. <laughs> There's one part where like she we see like the, inti- the the inside of her cloak and it's just a wall of daggers mm-hmm. that catches the 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 light and it's 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 really cool. Um, as a as someone who has played a rogue, um, it's really it's really cool imagery. But uh, yeah, I found myself watching it at some point, uh, like thinking to myself, "Oh, that's a that's a critical hit, or that's a nat one for deception, or that's mm-hmm. a uh, that's a nat one for stealth." Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it feels like um, it has that same energy, and that's where like uh, Dragon Age was born from them being told to just go and make their own Dungeons and Dragons um, yeah. inspired game. So, yeah, cuz uh, they didn't uh, they lose. Sense. They they um they tr-
1: they bid on the IP for D&D and they didn't get it if I remember right or like they lost the IP rights for it because they made Neverwinter Nights before which is in engine Dungeons and Dragons, but I think they lost it when they had moved over to um electronic arts and so they weren't able to uh to create a game within that engine ever again. If I remember right, yeah. I might be misremembering my BioWare lore.
0: The way, yeah, 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 I think you're right because the way that I remember it is that um, they they couldn't get they couldn't make an actual D and D game, so they were told just to go and make their own version of mm-hmm. a D and D inspired game, and that's where Dragon Age Origins came, and that's why um, when you're like building your character, it, it has like strength and 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 um, all of those different stats that you can put in, and all of the classes and stuff are are based on the classes and, and races from um, Dungeons and Dragons vaguely. Um, so there's an awful lot of correlation between Dungeons and Dragons and Dragon Age, and um, sometimes I like to remember that because it pulls in an awful lot of possibilities. Like, are the Kunari a cross between like Tieflings and Dragonborn? Because there's this now thing that we're learning about the Kunari that a lot of us suspected already that they are part dragon with the horns and the the way that they relate to dragons in game. So it's really interesting.
1: That moment where every single time you see a dragon in, uh, in Inquisition and Bull just starts having a day.
0: <laughs> he starts he, having something. Yeah. Today is a good day.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> he yeah. starts having a day and that day begins with ore and ends in gasm. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> but we
1: uh, we do get hints of that, and in future episodes, when we start breaking down the um, the other episodes of uh, uh, of Dragon Age Absolution, we are going to talk about that because it does get revealed a little bit later on. Not a whole lot, but w- that there is a further connection between dragons and Kunari, um, and we will we will discuss that uh, in the future yes, we when will. that comes out. Um, any other thoughts on episode three? Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a lot less of a lore dump than, um, uh, than we had in episode two. And yes, we had a lot more to say about episode two. But I think that this is really a great point, a great jumping off point where we start seeing... Um, the breakdowns between the party members, but the new alliances that are forming within the party members, because a lot of them are uh, well, I say a lot of them, but it's really just Lachlan is a little frustrated that Fairbanks, his one connection to the party is now gone and we need they need to find a reason to stay together to finish the job and to get everything done. And <laughs> by the end of episode three. Things are kind of falling apart, and their entire mission is in jeopardy, and they don't know if they are actually going to escape, and that brings us to episode four, which we are going to get to. After the beginning of the new year. So
0: yeah,
1: I'm super excited to get to um, the the latter half of the series because this is where things
0: get really, really real. I cannot wait. I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm so excited to talk about the developments with Dreadwolf. I am so excited to be talking um, further about Dragon Age in the future. Yes. Uh, Next week, things are going to be a little bit different
1: because it is going to be between Christmas and New Year's. Um, We are going to be releasing an episode, uh, but it's going to be a fun episode. It's going to be one where we kind of talk about some of the fun things that we enjoyed in 2022. And let that one tide you over until uh, Unifade Walker and I come back to talk more about Dragon Age Absolution and Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for episode two of the Fade Cafe podcast. As always, make sure you like, subscribe, and rate us on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on. We are on all of the podcast platforms as of my last check, so make sure you, uh, you
0: do that. And remember that the best way to help support a podcast is word of mouth. So if you know somebody else who would enjoy listening to the podcast, why not tell them about it? And let's see if we can get more Dragon Age fans to listen to The Fade Cafe. Hell yes.
1: We'll see you next week, friends. And remember to come
0: back for more!
1: (laughs) The Fade Cafe is a production of Cafe 3G and Unifade Walker. You can follow Unifade Walker at that handle on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok. Music and production by Cafe 3G. That's me. You can follow me at Cafe 3G on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and don't forget to subscribe. Fenharel Magellana Fenan. It is done.